Unlike you, I've never had formal radio training. I mean, I was on radio shows in a rural part of Texas once a month. KYOX, The Ox, in Comanche, Texas, was when I would do like the weather. I was basically part of the morning show. There was a pothole outside the main window, like if you looked at the side street, and that was the weather station. So we would just watch and see if any rain was hitting that puddle or not. You know, put your hand on the glass. It's like, eh, it's not really that cold outside. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, healthcare systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information and have fun along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Reed Smith and Chris Boyer. All right, like always, that was Michael Vinsky. Mike, thanks again for all your help and support. You can find out more about Michael and all that he does over at michaelvinsky.com. And uh, here we are. I'm Reed Smith. On the other side of the microphone is Chris Boyer. We are back again for another week, another episode, this time episode 57. So I'm going to talk a little bit today about innovation. Chris, how's it going? Pretty good, Reed. You and your nice, smooth radio voice over there. Nice to hear you this week. Yes, yes. That was good, man. This is uh, this is always a highlight of the week. It's always fun to do. So it is. It you know what's what's great about this is it's for me. It seems to be a very familiar, easy thing to do because we, you know I've kind of walked down that path before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unlike. Most consumers, when they're searching for a doctor or a healthcare provider, because did you know, Reed, that most consumers, that's a frustrating maze of bewildering choices and unanswered questions. They want to hear what other patients have to say in order to make a decision with confidence. Absolutely. And for those that find themselves in that place, our hospitals could have a great solution for that. So one of our sponsors, Loyal Health, has the solution. With uh, Loyal's Empower Solution, you've got the tools to do just that. You can empower the patient and provide a solution, maximize star ratings. We see that all over the place now on physician profiles and things like that. So make your site have those and own those. Uh, introduce deeper insights into what patients are really saying about their experience. You know, the solution can also help you sort a approve, publish those reviews of physician services, practices, and they use intelligent features like auto-approval and syntax highlighting. And when we say that, we're not talking about autocorrect on your phone. I mean, this is like intelligent features that really get you the right information to be published easy. And don't take our word for it. Swing on over to loyalhealth.com and uh, sign up for a demo. Let them know that we sent you it's a very innovative company, and we really appreciate them as being a sponsor. And speaking of innovation, that's what we're speaking about today, Reed. That's right. So innovation, we talk about that a lot. You experience in, in your life every day, just you know, the phone mm-hmm. you're holding uh, over the phone you were holding this time, I don't know, two years ago, three years ago. Mm-hmm. We're getting to a place now, you know, I've got the, the new iPhone and that uh, portrait mode that it has in there is amazingly good compared to what you would used to have to be, you know, a very skilled, trained photographer, have very expensive equipment. Innovation improves our lives every day. Is that how we define that? That's part of the definition of innovation, for sure. 
talking about using new technologies. Those are some of the elements that are related to innovation. I know a couple episodes we went through and we talked about the definition of digital innovation versus digital health versus digital marketing. But really, innovation is sort of this concept that's a little hard to define. It's being creative. It involves advancing certain things. And at the end of the day, if we're doing it for a business, it really means that it has a positive business impact. So, I mean, I guess you can innovate is in innovate, create something new that's never existed before. You could create a new use case for something that already does exist, I guess. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of parameters or even guardrails in the sense of innovation, which maybe is positive and negative because we can you know, kind of have that shiny object syndrome and, and chase a bunch of stuff or create things that don't solve a problem. We're trying to create solutions to things that, that you know, problems that don't exist. That's the downside, but the, you know, the, the upside, I guess, is being able to create and address different concerns in new ways that you know, historically we wouldn't have had the opportunity to do. And having worked with a lot of hospitals around innovation and digital innovation, I think that's the fundamental challenge they deal with is like, how do they walk down that path of developing innovation from within their organization so that it aligns appropriately with their business goals so that they're not chasing rabbit holes. They're actually driving some good value out of this. I think one of the most common things I hear when I talk to hospitals about this is they say, it's hard to measure ROI around digital innovation. Right. I totally get that. No, yeah, I do too. And I think it's hard to understand, well, number one, who owns innovation? Because it can happen anywhere, right? It could happen in marketing, I guess, but is the better place for innovation in the clinical space? And so do you have more clinical oversight of innovation? Is it your patient experience person? Is it, you know, I don't know. It can exist in a number of areas. And that's part of the challenge, right? In order to talk about this, Reed, I thought it might be good for us to talk through building a digital innovation framework and apply that framework to hospitals and health systems and see how hospitals and health systems today are addressing that. All right, so let's first take a look at what does innovation look like. found an article, or you found an article, Chris, uh, over at bcg.com. Again, we'll have a link in the Mm -hmm. show notes, but it's simply innovation in 2018. And so this is a uh, report that kind of runs down that path. BCG has a digital venture arm. Mm -hmm. They are innovators, operators, entrepreneurs, and investors that really work with businesses in a consultative manner. One of the first things they said, Reed, is that there's only really four types of innovation that are all related to digital that have grown in importance to innovative organizations in the most recent years. So the first one is, and we've heard this term uh, quite a bit uh, over the last several years, but is big data analytics. Big data. We hear that's a buzz term a lot. What that means is actually developing an integrated, almost like an information warehouse or a data mart of all of the data of people, customers, and any type of stakeholder that's important to you in a centralized way and using that data in a way to cull through and get analytics and information and intelligence out of them. The second is a faster adoption of new technologies. How can we apply these new technologies? How can we apply artificial intelligence? How can we apply mobile-first technologies? Being able to faster adopt these new technologies is one of those critical factors of an innovative organization. Uh, Absolutely. I just talked about it with the phone, right? It may be a device we've historically used, but, you know, in a whole new way with whole new features. Which leads us into our next one, which is mobile products 
and capabilities. I don't think it's a real shocker that mobile is on this list. They say in here that about a third of all respondents said that mobile products and capabilities along with uh, what they're calling digital design will have a significant impact on the industries over the next three to five years. Well, that's an app, right? So what you're saying is build an app, right? Yeah, build an app. Exactly. That'll solve this problem. Check the box. Just make sure you have an app. Well, in, in this case, though, mobile is defined a little bit differently. It's not just an app, right? It's using the Internet of Things, using mo- technology that really is mobile mm-hmm. in a way that you can actually leverage and align with that customer journey or that customer experience with your organization and make that experience more productive. And then finally, digital design is the fourth one. I guess it's kind of overarching in some respects. It's how do you design digital to align with the experience? How do you align the technology? But it's also how do you align your processes to utilize digital? How do you align your people to turn to digital first? It really is how do you design your organization to be become digital first. It means a lot. It has a big impact on your organization and it's not easy to do. Because you're dealing with different people with different mindsets and expectations that want to participate in different ways. Having those four characteristics in mind is definitely going to be very helpful as you're looking at yourself and and doing the analysis internally around, do you have the characteristics it takes to really start to embrace that digital first? in your organization. The study also basically said that there's a huge digital innovation gap. Those that are strong at digital innovation, they're getting stronger, they're getting better. And those that are weak are getting weaker. Is that because people are unwilling or they just literally can't do it? I think that there's a lot of questions around what it actually means and how to go down that path. I, I don't think it's that they're not willing. It's just they're just not sure what the first step should be or the second step. It ties back to data a little bit because, you know, the stronger innovators are far more likely to use big data and advanced analytics to really define where they should go. What's the priorities? What are the challenges they need to face? And how can they use digital in such a way to cross that chasm, right, to go past that? One of the characteristics they found, too, is that strong innovators are more than twice as likely to use outsourcing to access the right capabilities. They're realizing when it's okay to build and when it's okay to buy. Potentially, innovation comes with it the price of not being able to own it all in-house. So if you're Mm going to get somewhere, Mm -hmm. sometimes you don't know where you're trying to go or what you're going to need to get there when you start. So it's hard to, you know, maybe staff for that. So to that end, you know, I think it's good for us to talk about digital innovation and what those areas within the organization that really needs to change. What BCG did is they kind of structured the areas around which organizations should embrace in order to change. First one they list out is strategy. So ultimately, how do you apply the technologies you know, that expand these horizons into new products, services, business models, things like that? Digital transforms strategy, if you think about it. And we've often said that here on this podcast is that becoming digital first is not just a technology answer. It's a strategy answer. Business leaders today need to think differently about innovation strategy. They should take into account the following five questions as they rethink, if not revamp, their innovation strategies to embrace the digital age. So they have five questions, and I thought it would be good for us to kind of go through those five questions, Read Number one, which I think is probably the uh, very logical question, is what's possible? 
So you're looking at the landscape, mm-hmm. you're trying to understand, you know, maybe where where's innovation needed, you know, what is possible. And maybe what's not possible, maybe you can rule out some stuff. And I know that we're, as a, a healthcare organization, we're a little tied because of HIPAA, privacy, all those things we've always talked about, you know, the, the, the ones we always go back to as being our challenges. Mm-hmm. But thinking about what is possible, typically when I look at organizations and I'm trying to help them understand where digital innovation is possible, I kind of clue in on a couple of things. First off is looking at what your status quo is and how can you make your status quo better? And then think about, well, has it been done in other industries or have you seen other examples that are not healthcare related that you can apply here? Those are ways to really kind of start brainstorming around what is possible. But what about those ideas that are just really pie in the sky, out of left field? How do you get those ideas? I think you have to purposely ask for them and look for them. You know, otherwise you're just going to keep getting the same. Uh, you mentioned one of them, which was, you know, maybe even looking outside of healthcare, right? Or looking at other industries, bringing in, uh, whether that be just for training, education, brainstorming, whatever, maybe even hiring people from outside the industry to challenge kind of what that status quo is of what is possible. You said an important thing there, Reed. You said ask for it. That's often a thing that we struggle to do. Now, um, we could do a whole podcast on this, but how do we get information from our customers, from our audiences? How can we actually ask them what they see as potential opportunities for change or innovation? Mm -hmm. And whether it's those groups or your internal stakeholders, uh, when you do ask for it, I think sometimes you even have to spell it out. Uh, I know I've done this a time or two where we're doing you know projects for clients and and part of that is is quote unquote a big idea at the end, and I have to say like look this can't be about media buying and I, mm-hmm. and I usually use some like absurd scenario to try to drive home my point like how do we give everybody a new car or that does this thing well we can't do that i'm like well you know so but you've got to get people far enough outside of what they're used to thinking about to even get the idea uh, in their head of like oh okay i see what you're saying like i need to come up with something that you know really stretches even what legally or from a compliance standpoint we could even do you know, let's not worry about that right now. And sometimes you have to say, we're throwing out the legal piece, we're throwing out the compliance piece. Like, let's not even worry about that right now because it's easier to shoot really far out there and then dial it back versus, you know, mm-hmm. land short and then try to keep going further, right, with an idea. I often say this to people, you know, when I'm going through these brainstorming sessions, don't focus on what we could what we could or could not do. Focus on what we should do. So the second question is, how do we use data and software? That tells you, are you using data the right way? Are you getting the right information? That could be a really important question to ask. There's so much data now, and there's so much software, you can get a little bit lost in it. But understanding where you stand and, and what you have, I think, is really important. And not only that, where are your gaps? Where are your information right. gaps? Are you drawing correlations or causal connections between data? Is data really informing you on what your customers need? Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, not to skip ahead too quickly, but I think this bleeds into the next point a little bit, which is or the next question mm-hmm. that they say is um, assess the capabilities that we need. Can we do it ourselves? Do we need to hire other folks, you know, internal, external, all that kind of good stuff? What's interesting is where this is in the, the five elements we're talking about, right? This isn't the first thing you ask. 
But sometimes it is the first thing we ask and it's a, it's a roadblock. So we don't go big enough because we've already assessed, you know, what we can or can't do from a skill set standpoint. Absolutely. And that's sometimes really the hardest question is to really look inside yourself and say, are we the right people to actually be doing this? Right? right. Is this something that we have the capability in-house? I know we want to build it in-house. I know we all have the desire to own what we're doing. But are we really the right people? In some respects, our current skill sets are the enemy of innovation. If one of your guys' answer is always Facebook paid advertising, well, that's probably because he really understands Facebook paid advertising. And that's about it. Right. So <laughs> right. it's like no matter what right. question you ask, the answer is always going to be Facebook paid. That's the problem. And so what you know, I like to talk through and brainstorm through are these ideas, but not ideas that are pursuant to the fact that we can then fulfill them internally. Like, let's figure that out later. And this is really important to think about now that, you know, if you can't do it yourself, are you going to just hire people? Are you going to partner with people? And I think that in healthcare, sometimes people get kind of hung up on, well, if we hire someone or partner with them, like maybe do a joint venture or what have you, who owns the IP? Who owns the information after we're all done? That's the nature of the business. In this article, they talked about um, auto manufacturers. And they say that auto manufacturers typically collaborate with a number of outside partners and suppliers and sometimes they they hold joint patents and um, IP shared between multiple different people. And that actually has helped them to accelerate their innovation faster. And I think in healthcare, that's important for us to think about. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about the risks of not moving fast enough, which is the next question. What are the risks of not moving fast enough? Yeah, kind of that opportunity cost. What are we going to lose out on? could be quite a big deal you know if you sit around and wait you know you've always got the friend that it was like you know he sees like the chip clip and it's like yeah i had that idea Mm -hmm. you know that's an extreme version of you know the risk of not moving fast enough you know as you miss out on retirement (laughs) or whatever Uh, i think the risk of not moving fast enough in healthcare is the detriment of not providing the best care keeping the best employees well i think we're stuck on trying to be really, really perfect. And maybe that does come from our culture of patient care, right? We don't want to do anything that could detrimentally harm the patient. So we really are risk adverse. Nobody gets fired for being too conservative. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So this company, again, they were looking at, at innovative companies across multiple industries. And they say that many of these companies they invest early into some technologies and partnerships with people that maybe are at the early stages of that development because it's easier to go quicker to market and maybe put out a product that is maybe just addressing a couple of things, not 100%, and then iterate and evolve from there. You know, think about your iPhone example from before. The first iPhone that came out was a little clunky. You know, it's funny you say that because at the time it was like, I don't know how it gets any better than this. Like Mm -hmm. literally this is the most amazing device I've ever seen in my life. And then now it's like, you know, my son who's 10 years old is like, can I have it? Can I use it? I'm like, you don't want to, you think you do, but it's got eight gigs of storage. Like you take it, like you didn't want to hold a picture hardly. This piece of technology that we thought was so incredible is now basically worthless. It's paperweight. And that may be the way we approach digital innovation in, in hospitals as we move forward. I wouldn't say that it's paperweight, but I mean, if you're solving like maybe one task or trying to accomplish something and knowing that you can iterate and evolve, 
I, I mean, that's really what the future is here. It's like uh, Apple turned the iPhone 1 into what it is today, you know, the Apple 10. As long as you're building a good solid foundation and realize to go back mm-hmm. to change that foundation every so often, go, getting fast to market is a competitive advantage now. You know, people that got on the iPhone platform early on or iTunes platform early on, probably likely to stay there. Finally, the fifth one, uh, what are leaders doing? And we ask this question a lot. You know, what are the best practices? Go to some of the well-known national brands in the hospital space and say, how are they doing it? What are they doing? In this case, the characteristics of leaders of innovation companies, they outline them here in the article that, first of all, innovative leaders dedicate resources to digital projects. They realize the importance of that, and they're dedicating more of their budget and their resources to the tools, technologies, peoples, and resources needed to enable and maybe even incubate some of these ideas. They also invest in speed. Their KPIs are looking to shorten cycles, move faster, cut the time to market. We just talked about that, right? They test more ideas early in the development process, and they use digital techniques for simulation and prototyping. They also take smart risk. You bet big, win big. You know, they're also doing it from a calculated standpoint. They give the example of Tesla in here, uh, you know, kind of catapulting to the top of the auto industry because, you know, they really bet on technology, including just trying to build a, a better gasoline engine, a car that was better looking than the other cars or whatever. It was less about, you know, could this fail? And so they were able to, to make that pay off. And Well, I say pay off. I mean, that's maybe still to be determined a little bit, but I mean, we see where they are now. So last two points, uh, leaders invest in data. So they're using data, and this keeps coming up over and over again, right? Data is important to innovation. Data is used throughout the innovation process, identifying new ideas or themes to you know testing, validating, going out into market, testing, using data across the entire continuum of innovation to ensure that it's being adopted and that it's successful. I think data allows us to validate along the way. You know, the more data you get in the same place at the same time, the more valuable it becomes, the more it allows you to validate along the way and gives you something to build off of. That's how some of these calculated risks come about. And finally, they build uh, advantaged capabilities. They recognize the need to build, expand skills, capabilities at many levels, uh, and they're going to invest in that talent. You know, I don't think it's a big shocker uh, of why you see folks like Johnny Ive at Apple, you know, why Apple continues to invest in him. You know, there was a story in Google, you know, those engineers get to spend, I think it's 20% of their work week working on personal projects and stuff. It's just like healthcare to find, attract and retain, you know, good talent allows you to provide good healthcare or create uh, stuff no one else can create. It also helps you break down silos, which is something that, you know, is really challenging when you're in an organization that if you have one people that say you're responsible for digital and you're responsible for this, you're responsible for that, you know, creating these cross-functional teams really helps to break down those silos. That's easier said than done, though. It is because then you have personalities in the mix there as well. Also, I see a lot of leaders that are starting to invest in creating models or labs to test and try new solutions. That's a big trend around hospitals, which is digital innovation labs. You know, the private sector does it. Um, you see other industries doing it. Uh, and you see some of the leading folks in healthcare doing it. So uh, that's where we're going to find a lot of you know, practically usable uh, examples. Hey, we want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, and that's our good friends at Binary Fountain. 
you know, as a healthcare marketer, it's probably pretty obvious these days how much time you're spending uh, on reviews, ratings relative to hospitals, physicians, all that kind of good stuff. You know, too many of those are going unanswered and they're certainly not being analyzed. This could be costing us new and current customers. It could be impacting our patient experience scores and potentially impacting our revenue. Luckily, our good friends at Binary Fountain have an online reputation management platform called Binary Health Analytics. If you'd like to learn more or even schedule a demo, visit them online at binaryfountain.com. That's binaryfountain.com. So, Reed, in order to transform into a highly digital capable organization, the last thing about this study that I think would be important for us is to highlight some of the characteristics that they actually are tracking towards these organizations. Something we've you know probably touched on and or done maybe even numerous episodes of the podcast on at this point, but it's being uh, consumer centric or customer centric. So they focus all aspects of the business on the needs of the customer. Um, so we, we've talked about that in the consumerism piece, voice of the customer, et cetera. Uh, even when we talk about like the Baldrige process, that's what all that is centered around. The second is agile, being agile. They, they hear the short response and implementation times for both decision-making and resource allocation. So what's interesting is um, the hospital I work for now, we're implementing best practices of Agile. So we're having daily huddles. We're having weekly scrums. We're actually building uh, an Agile infrastructure, which is really making things get done more efficiently. That's much more than just saying you have the capabilities of moving fast. It's actually systematically becoming Agile. That's interesting. And that kind of bleeds into the next one, which is experimental. So digital organizations, business models foster uh, experimentation. So you always hear the like, you know, I'm fine trying anything, but let's fail fast and move on. Much like what you're talking about from an agile standpoint, if it doesn't work, let's move on quickly. If it does work, let's scale up quickly. Lean, simple, and standard. Organizations that have standardized structures, units, and processes, as well as clear roles and responsibilities. Simplicity is really the way through all of this and creating a a very simplistic way to make decisions, to actually determine the best way to go. If one thing our industry as hospitals can stand, you know, being a little bit more simple in the work we do. Yeah, it'd be great if we cut down some of the complexity for sure. You know, that also goes into the next point as well, you know, focus on operational excellence. Um, so digital organizations champion efficiency, just like you were mentioning, lean techniques, competitive cost structures, continuous improvement, maintaining a high, high degree of operational discipline. They're also empowered and accountable. And that means down to the manager level, right? They empower managers to take action. They monitor performance and hold people accountable for the work that they do. A nice offshoot of this is, again, clean and simple and clear KPIs. They measure performance in a very simplistic way. Finally, um, it's cross-functional. So teams purposely combine relevant types of expertise, digital, business-specific, and digital organizations avoid functional silos. I think that's really important. We mentioned a little while ago about investing in talent. This kind of comes along the same same path as making sure folks kind of cross-pollinate, if you will. How is this showing up in hospitals? And maybe we could touch into some of the trends that are occurring in hospitals. And what's interesting, Reed, is I found 
another article that highlighted in a survey that was done by Avia and AHA, where they interviewed 317 people from hospitals and health systems. 44 of them were CEOs and 273 were innovation leaders. I want that title. And they were asking them, like, where are you applying your digital innovation priorities? That's an impressive list, first off, that you get 44 CEOs on the phone um, to to participate. And then I had no idea we had that many innovation leaders across the country. It's saying here that 60, or I'm sorry, 86% indicated that digital innovation is tied to their long-term strategy, and three-quarters said pursuing it uh, is necessary for a competitive advantage. So, you know, people are investing in this. You know, the, the folks they talk to certainly are, and I guess that would make sense. That's why they're talking to them. This isn't just a flash in the pan. It's, it's tied to the actual strategy. And here's where they're applying those strategies. They have five key strategic priorities they're applying this to. The first is around patient-generated data and customized services. 31% of respondents said they're looking for data that will help improve the patient experience and the quality of care. That's not surprising to me, but I'm excited that that is really where they're moving for digital innovation. Uh, Second on the list is uh, network utilization and management. So uh, 29% indicated they wanted to find solutions to help their hospitals. It takes on increasing financial risk. That's probably one that is a moving target every day, especially every legislative cycle. But it's critical. I mean, that's where the money's at, right? Related to that, Referral management and in-network retention. 29% said they hope to find technologies that will match the right patient to the right physician at the right time. So that is huge. And, you know, we've talked about that a number of times before, but that really becomes an important focus of where organizations are increasing their digital. Slightly behind the, the previous two at 28 percent uh, they've had social community support uh, so they're seeking ways to improve the whole patient journey from care coordination to outcomes and we've seen lots of studies obviously around uh, the benefit of support and community support as it, it goes towards people with readmissions success and recovery especially after things like surgery and, and whatnot that's where the app comes in right yeah exactly that's the app <laughs> And then lastly, convenient patient access, including telemedicine. 28% are actively looking for a solution to meet patient demand to get use technology to give them the right point of care, digitally or otherwise, in the right place for them. So I think that all of those five trends are encouraging to me, Reed. What do you think about that? They are. They, they do highlight some obstacles, which, again, uh, you would probably imagine. But they say that slightly over half of the leaders that they talk to are – they're still saying they're holding off on digital innovation due to lack of capital, uh, whereas, again, 60% express that they haven't seen a large enough ROI from previous digital solution investments. So that's still a hard one. I mean, people are doing things, they're not attributing it well, or it's not able to be attributed very well back to uh, ROI, financial ROI. And so, you know, it's still giving people some pause there. Well, another thing that gives them pause, 37% said they were refraining from digital innovation due to regulatory uncertainty. Not sure what's going to happen in the future. They might want to innovate around value-based care and that may go away. Yeah, absolutely. Spend a lot of money, time, effort, energy, and then it's uh, irrelevant. 
because they still have to be reimbursed at some point. Uh, also, 45% say uh, they have a standard uh, process to pilot a digital solution on top of that. 70% don't believe their IT department has sufficient resources to support the innovation. So uh, they can come up with, with things, but they don't have a standard process to put it in place, and then they can't support it. That makes total sense. I mean, you know, it's nothing scarier than looking at the future and not knowing how to plan for it or or measure for that. And that's where it really becomes important. Again, if you're setting up innovation or you want to set up innovation, a lot of organizations are turning to, uh, to others for ideas and expertise. Again, that whole build versus buy. Can we build the innovation internally or can we bring in expertise from external? I think that's a consideration. By the way, this article that we're talking about is from MedCity News. They actually outline some of the steps forward and they make it seem so easy read these next steps forward. So let's just easily do these things. Number one, provide enough IT resources. Ah, easy, no problem. Check, dedicating a specific a pool of funding. Oh, easy, no. So that's easy enough, so let's see what we got. I'm just making some notes here. We got people, and then we've got money. Okay, check and check. Yep. Developing a flexible budget cycle. Oh, okay. Just do do whatever you want, whenever you want. Okay. Well, it's got to be flexible. Gotcha. So, but that's okay. Flexible, there you go. right? Okay. Uh, and then uh, finally, reserving a portion of each service line leader's budget. I, I mean, that's going to be so easy, right? I'll just go to my uh, urology service line and say, you know what? Twenty uh, percent of your budget is dedicated to digital innovation. What we're going to spend on, we can't tell you quite yet, but when we do, we'll uh, let you know. Yeah, I mean, you as a service line leader, we just feel like that you're going to need some innovation. So we're just going to earmark some of that. That's good. (laughs) We're being sarcastic, but you know, I, uh, those are actually good characteristics. How do you get into that? I think really is the answer. It's not as simple as just paying lip service to it. You can see it's going to take systemic change. Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast, I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, You know, they've got a consumer experience platform that that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've, we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in one way, shape or form have probably been covered, right? That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience. Well, there you go. I, you know, I would, I would recommend for anybody interested in one of those topics uh, or anything else, they've also got some complimentary solutions on their website. But, but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems, kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to InfluenceHealth.com. Touchpoint. Touch counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready? Fight! Okay, Reed, here we are facing off once again. Um, Today, we've been talking a lot about digital innovation and uh, finding ways for an organization to structure for that innovation. And I think that begs the question that we're going to argue about. We're going to take two opposing sides on is that innovation, can that be developed from within an organization or 
is it impossible to to build it up from inside? There's an exception to every rule, but I, I would say in large part, um, the majority is, is going to, it cannot come from inside the organization. You're such a contrarian read. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you, you don't have a lot of high hopes for our industry, I see. And I actually think that it can come from within. In fact, I think some of the best ideas come from within. The thing is, is that a lot of times we mistake the fact that leaders themselves can come up with those ideas. I actually don't believe that. I actually believe that the people that are there day to day within the work that they do, or as they say in Lean, in the Genba. Oh, boy. Those are the people that will come up with those innovative ideas. Ideas, sure. Innovation, not so much. I think that's the problem. Many of those pieces where you know leaders were concerned about funding, concerned about IT support, all that kind of stuff, that is the hindrance, that is the roadblock, because we're, we're not built for innovation. Hospitals are not built for innovation. But that's why we're going to have to rely on the industry as a whole, technology providers, entrepreneurs, whatever, maybe even people from other verticals that are getting into the health space, to bring true innovation because otherwise we're just stuck with people trying to do the same thing with a new idea, not real innovation. I get your point about needing to bring in outsiders to kind of help structure that, but that's just bringing in the framework. That's like bringing in the people to help us interpret our ideas. The innovation, the true core of innovation is the idea. So don't dismiss that idea, Reed. Yeah, sure. We might need help learning how to to walk, but ultimately we're the athletes here. We're gonna run that race. We're gonna find that innovation from within us. We have to, because we're the ones that know our system that much better. We're the ones that actually can identify where those innovative ideas may actually help our organization. So I'm not convinced it comes from the outside. Yeah, I mean, to vet the ideas, yeah, sure, we need people internally and in, you know working there every day. But I think because of that, you know, most of those folks are going to be jaded in the sense that, uh, you know, what's actually available and can be done. It's like we talked about earlier, everybody's going to quickly jump straight to the, what's the capability, not what is possible, but based on our capabilities and what we can or can't do. And I see that we're starting to get to the middle and finding the nuance of this argument, because I do agree that also there are good ideas from other leaders and looking to others can help us with innovating and spawning new ideas for us. But at the end of it all, Reed, I think that ideas and innovation does come from within. And I really want to believe that we, working within our systems, are going to bring forward those solutions that are going to be elegant and meet the customer's needs. But we have to keep that idea and the mindset around customer's needs. Yeah, I mean, I think so. So, I mean, obviously, you can't you can't really innovate without the people practically doing the work. But yet, you don't want grind of every day to to bias some of that. So, I mean, I think it's got to be somewhere in between. You can't do it all from within. You need some help from without, and we've said that before. That's why we want to bring together a more cohesive team and maybe a combination of people to kind of help to address innovation. The one thing we do know, though, is innovation doesn't happen overnight. It's a marathon. It takes time. As you said, Reed, you got to be able to fail quickly and you've got to be able to scale quickly.
All right, now it's time for the Ask the Expert portion of the podcast. And like always, it's always nice to have somebody that is an actual expert and practically does whatever it is Chris and I are talking about in their daily lives. And so fortunate to be joined today by uh, Steve Wimmer. And uh, Steve and I met each other almost a year ago at South by Southwest 20. 17. I still can't get used to this being 2018, but so 2017. And so as we record this, we're just a few days out of tw- uh, South by 2018. But they did a, an event here at the Dell Medical School a couple of days prior to South by uh, called Hive. And you know, at the time, I think, Steve, you were working in the hospital innovation space. But why don't you give everybody a, a little bit of an update of uh, kind of where you are and what you're doing? Sure. I'm happy to do that. And thanks for having me on. I've been working in just strategy and innovation for quite some time. I've worked with big design firms internationally. I've worked in software development. I've done the whole startup thing up here in Seattle. And I am now just starting to focus more on how do I bring innovation into hospital systems in a more concrete and a more uh, efficient kind of way. And, and what I'm finding is that the best way to do that really is to do it in the startup space. So up until the end of last year, I ran the technology strategy team at Providence St. Joseph Health. And I've since now branched off and I'm doing uh, several different startups that are focusing on healthcare and wellness innovation. Very cool. Well, Chris and I have been talking on the episode up to this point a little bit about innovation in hospitals and what does that mean? And you know some of the things that we've kind of found online, if you are articles and things like that. But I guess just to kick us off, you have a little different perspective, I guess, than I do probably on this, but, uh, and maybe I'm wrong, but it doesn't appear as if that there is a lot of, you know, innovation as in like what you were running there at Providence. There's not a lot of innovation departments, a lot of innovation initiatives within hospitals. Is that fair? Or are you seeing a fair amount more of that here in recent years? Well, the landscape is that the larger hospital systems realize that they need to do something and they typically have different organizations that are focused on trying to figure out what they need to do. Because in general, hospitals are getting squeezed right now, right? You have patients demanding greater convenience and transparency around price. You've got clinicians really concerned about needing to be more efficient and the fact that they're just getting burned out. And then you have hospitals being really concerned about all of the revenue and other inefficiencies that exist right now in the way that they're delivering care, coupled with all the unknowns that are tied to the ACA and whatnot. So it's these larger health systems that have the wherewithal, typically, to go at least invest some time and effort in seeing what they can do from a technology and strategy perspective to combat some of these pressures. It's the smaller health systems that are really having a little more difficulty in these individual regional hospitals that just don't have the resources to make this, uh, to really go after this space. And so uh, it sounds to me like, I guess, a number of the driving factors, I guess, are consumer driven. It's, it's what people's expectations are coming from the rest of their lives, right? You know, whether that was paying their bill online several years ago and the expectation to be able to do that on a hospital website, you know, now is driven to the fact that you've got these other technologies like ride sharing or telemedicine is a good example of that convenience piece, you know, that instantaneous piece. You're not having to leave their house to get things accomplished. How are hospitals determining, you know, what success looks like? The bigger organizations that have, you know, these innovation departments, I mean, are they, are they doing it because they know they just, they have to do it? It's just kind of a cost of doing business or are they trying to actually connect this to an actual ROI. It's a combination of things. First and foremost, there is a 
general expectation on the, these patient populations that things are going to get better. Because as we could all agree right now, healthcare delivery is a big pain point from the patient's perspective. There are lots of pain points in the system overall, but in particular for patients, that what we hear time and again is the fact that they're just not happy with the way in which they're receiving their care. It's a question that they're not getting the convenience that they want. They're not getting the price transparency that they want. They're not getting the kinds of services that they want. And frankly, they're confused sometimes about what kinds of things are available and what is appropriate for uh, certain different uh, care situations. So you mentioned pricing and transparency a little bit. Are there other areas that you're seeing innovation kind of center around? The transparency piece is obviously a big one, uh, whether that be from a quality standpoint or a a pricing standpoint or whatever. Are there other areas that you're seeing uh, folks focus in on? Yeah, a lot of it is around uh, two different areas. First off, just creating a better patient experience and how do you get patients engaged more across the board and not just episodically, but as part of their entire lifestyle. So how do you become a platform as a hospital system or as a caregiving network that enables patients just to be healthier in general? And what does that look like? What does that end-to-end strategy really look like? So uh, there's some focus on on that, certainly. And then, of course, because hospitals are trying to run businesses, there's a really strong focus on how do you reduce those things that really impact your bottom line to the the largest extent? Like, how do you decrease the number of no-shows? How do you make sure that your referrals are being completed as expected? And how are you making sure that those situations that have to do after the uh, the episode of care, that post-care situation, what are you doing there to making sure that readmissions are being driven downwards? How are you avoiding unnecessary ED visits, et cetera? You mentioned that there's organizations around the country, obviously, that are that are focusing on this, that are doing this, that are that are innovating. For those that are not going down this path yet or have not gone down this path yet, you know, you mentioned earlier the regional acute care systems or, you know, whoever it may be. Are, are there some simple things that people can do that, you know, feel like, you know what, I, this is interesting to me. This is something I feel like we need to focus on. How can they start to move down that path as an organization? They may not be able to go out and create a department or a center or something like that, but are, are there things people can do to, you know, kind of start easing down this path? Yeah, that's a great question, Reed. And I get that question a lot, frankly. And there it, there are some things that you can do even as a small health system. And like, what what is like innovation? in a box look like? How do you make this? How do you take little baby steps? How do you do little things that can really move the needle in a significant kind of way? And what the things that we've seen that really are able to move the needle pretty quickly are just understanding what's happening during an episode of care. And that means being able to take digital samples along the way. By that, I mean, how do you uh, insert different surveys, different types of quality control measures that are digitally enabled, that are pretty easy to uh, implement as well as digest from a data perspective? It can be things just as simple as putting together certain questionnaires that uh, nurses fill out on on an iPad while they're doing their rounds as a means to ascertain whether or not the the service is being delivered in in the way that is consistent 
consistent with care standards that are, that are there. So you can put this whole rounding tool in place that can really have a strong impact. And it's really cheap to do because all you basically need is a web browser and a web form. You don't need to go off and buy something super expensive. You can just figure out what are the top five questions that you should be asking yourself every time a nurse runs into the room. And it's amazing how much service recovery you can do there, which then has a, a very positive impact on the quality of care that's been being delivered. It's funny, Chris and I actually started this episode off by by asking, how do you define innovation? Like, what is innovation? And, and I think sometimes we run past some of the obvious stuff to because we feel like, you know, if I have to hear about the Uber of healthcare one more time, you know, kind of a deal. <laughs> there's not that there's not a place for that, right? Like, there, it's not that, you know, there's not a place for these home runs, but, um, you know, I think people are missing uh, the singles and doubles. And that was a great example, I think, because we've been taught via Studer Group, Baptist Leadership, whatever it is, about rounding, service recovery, things like that. And so how does, how does that move into the digital space even where you can then aggregate some of this data? And then what trends do you find and what can you learn from that? And so I think that is uh, a really great example uh, for, for organizations out there. So where do you see this headed? Like where, where are we going? Uh, again, big hospitals already doing this, small and medium-sized hospitals not really doing this or focused on it in the same way. But where where do you see the innovation in hospitals moving over the next few years? Well, it's clearly going to be focusing much more on patient engagement and how do you, in fact, make that patient experience better? Because as we are talking earlier, the demands are going to be there from the patient population. They're going to be expecting the same level of convenience and the same level of access that you get from all these other digital services that you have available. So there, there's going to be a need to be able to get to the care you need it, where you need it, and when you need it. And being able to provide the necessary information to patients so that they're able to make the right care decisions for themselves. How do you navigate those patients to the right types of care? Because one of the things that both large hospital systems and small hospital systems alike are trying to do is get more efficient. And how do you do that? You deliver care when and where it's needed and in the most appropriate uh, venue for, the, for that care. So how do you make sure that people are using the right type of care at the right time and in the right place? And there are lots of things that you can do in terms of patient education and, and providing uh, the mechanisms by which they can make the right decision. There's a lot we could talk about in this space, and obviously it encompasses quite a bit. But uh, one, one last thing, who owns innovation in a hospital? That may be a little bit of a trick question, but do you, do, in your mind, does this reside with somebody or some job title or some department? Who, who owns innovation? That, that, that is a, a, a really important topic. And innovation belongs to everyone. Uh, it really can't be mandated from the top. It really needs to be an, an integral part of the culture. And people need to feel empowered in the hospital system or within a specific uh, care setting to try new things, to see what works, what little tweaks can make a difference to people. Sometimes it can be just uh, uh, handing out a flyer at the right time that says, hey, this is what's coming next in terms of your care plan. Other times it can be making sure that a referral is properly queued up and is closed closed on in, in terms of getting scheduled. I mean, there are lots of little things along the way that can be done. And everyone who is in that entire chain of care needs to feel empowered 
empowered to try things, to tweak things, and to make subtle improvements in what they're doing. Because innovation typically isn't like these big needles that are moving all of a sudden because some awesome solution has been put into place. It's typically lots of little stuff that happens along the way that then has, in aggregate, has a big impact on the overall way that care is delivered. Man, I think that's great. For those that want to learn a little bit more about what you're doing, where you're doing it, uh, want to connect with you, maybe even ask you more questions and things like that, how, how are the best place to track you down? Uh, probably the best place is via LinkedIn. Uh, you can just find me as Steve Wimmer, W-I-M-M-E-R on LinkedIn and just message me. Happy to talk to you about some of these topics in more detail. And in particular, how do we make healthcare better from a patient and from a clinician perspective, because everybody's feeling squeezed. Nobody feels like we're doing the best possible job that we can do. This was great. And again, we'll have uh, a link in the show notes uh, over to LinkedIn and appreciate the time. And I look forward to having you back on again. Yeah. Thanks so much, Reed. Really appreciate it. Chris, good news. The healthcare industry now has its own domain name. What? Absolutely. Everybody knows that organizations have .org, education has .edu. Well, now .health is available and quickly becoming the home for all health-related content online. And listeners to our podcast can visit get.health slash touchpoint. Visit get.health slash touchpoint now. All right, here we are at the end of episode 57 on innovation. So good conversation, a little bit of a different topic again, kind of the blurring of the lines between uh, what's historically been marketing communications and patient experience and quality and ITNS and all that kind of fun stuff. So before we get to recommendations, a couple things coming up. Uh, as you listen to this, South by Southwest will only be a couple of days away. So if you're there, holler at me. Uh, Twitter is probably the best way to do that. Would love to meet up, say hi if you happen to be in town uh, down here in Austin. Of course, Hems is going on right now as well. Chris and I will be at the forums uh, late April, and we'll have plenty of time to talk about that. I also have a webinar coming up for Shishmet coming up in April, later April, and it will be about uh, developing a new digital front door, what that looks like in this day and age. So keep an eye out for that. We'll post the details to the show notes once we get them. Very, very cool. Uh, Okay, recommendations. Well, I'm going to ask everybody to turn off their Amazon devices now because I am going to be talking about Alexa Mm. and Alexa's skills because um, I'm really getting into using my Alexa a lot. I know, Reed, that you have one, but you probably, your kids probably use it more for homework purposes. Yes. My wife and I have been really actively trying to get Alexa to kind of integrate into our day-to-day lives. We've enabled a number of skills, and we've we've been able to get our calendars in the device so we can actually check to see where our calendars are at, connected it to Uber so we can actually order Uber through our Alexa, which is really, really That's cool. Handy. But one thing that we discovered just over the weekend, which really has come in handy, is Alexa can actually play white noise to help you go to sleep. You know how sometimes people maybe are struggling to fall asleep. They may want to listen to the sounds of the ocean or rain on the windowsill or something like that. Well, Alexa has an app, a skill built into it now, which can allow you to play that. So you can play all of those different sounds by just saying, Alexa, enable sleep sounds, and then you can actually get them to start before you go to bed. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I like that. Helps us sleep better. And it also puts technology right in our bedroom. So Alexa listens to us when we sleep. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's just one more <laughs> way Google is, uh, you know, sucking in all the all the data. So now it knows if you have sleep apnea or something. So uh, mine's a little bit different. Uh, so last week with a client and did some live tweeting and you know all that because anyway, it was a clinical conference. Through that, we had the idea of putting up, uh, everybody's seen kind of the tweet wall, you know, where you've got the stuff kind of moving around and, you know, it gives you just visually a little bit uh, of an interesting way to, you know, during breaks or whatever you want to do to kind of have your content up, right? And so I was looking for, I haven't done it in a while, uh, came up and decided to use Everwall. Have you ever used Everwall? No. That's Is that that song by Oasis? Yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. By Oasis, but before they broke up, so um, <laughs> so now they have to call it Everwall when one of them sings. What it. is Everwall? Is that Everclear and Oasis getting together in a supergroup? Yes. What is this? Yeah, exactly. I don't know what Everwall is. Everwall uh, allows you to connect social properties. We just did Twitter, but you can connect like you know LinkedIn or whatever to have that content flow through. Allows you to have a leaderboard. Uh, so everybody loves to win and have kind of that gamification piece on it, you know, at a conference. So it has the leaderboard of like who's you know in the lead has the most post and you know that kind of thing. It's it's cool. You can brand it, all that kind of good stuff. You can take their branding off of pictures on there. That's all cool, and it gives you some analytics and things like that. But what I do like about it uh, that's a little bit different than some of the others is it does uh, allow you to push announcements across it. So kind of like a lower third or, you know, halfway to, you know, there's a break in 10 minutes or, you know, one of those kind of things. Uh, You can actually ask poll. You can like launch polls through it where people can respond by, you know, tweeting with a certain hashtag or something like that to vote in the poll versus it being a true Twitter poll. Anyway, it just kind of gives you some additional flexibility. Uh, And another kind of neat thing about it is you only have to like pay for it or subscribe to it. Uh, for day, you know, the days that you need it. So it's not like for the month or the year or one of those deals. You literally can just like hear the dates of my conference and just pay for it those days. You can still log into your dashboard and get all the analytics and all that stuff after the fact. It's just your wall will not be live or accessible outside of those dates. Wow, yeah. that's really cool. I'll have to look into that. It's pretty cool and I'm sure there's other really good ones out there but this is just one that I use and have a little bit of experience with so I'd love to hear what, what some other people have used. But yeah, everyone Awesome. Great recommendation, Reed. Well, very cool. Another great episode. Uh, Thanks for all the support from our sponsors, from our friends. Uh, It's nice to know other people are out there listening. Uh, And since you are, we would certainly appreciate uh, navigating over to uh, uh, iTunes and rate, review, subscribe, all that kind of good stuff. Check out the website at touchpoint.health for information on this and other podcasts. So for Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. 